Good Father's Day morning to everybody out there. Uh, what a blessing to get to be here with you, Father's Day. I actually got to be here also on Easter, and that was that was great too. Um, I don't know what it is about the uh, the opportunity to speak to you during these times, but I'm thankful for it. I'd like to start with a word of prayer. So, Father, we come to you this morning on this Father's Day, thanking you, Lord, that you are our Father in heaven who looks down upon us with love, uh, with, with um, just joy and happiness towards us, Father, and we're so thankful to be able to partner with you and for sonship and, Lord, all that that means. Father, we just ask that you would be with us this morning, be with everybody that's hearing my voice. Father, those who are listening now and maybe listening in the future, Lord, just um, I just ask that you would use me as your mouthpiece to speak forth those things that you have for your, your people, Lord, in this day. Father, we love you, and we look forward now to just sharing uh, with one another and um, and partaking of your your scripture. Father, we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, um, I would like to begin, and um, before I start, I would just tell you the format of this. I was um, trying to determine what the Lord wanted me to speak on, and uh, through the mouth of the prophet, um, it was discussed and decided that I'd talk a little bit about this journey that Noah and I went on recently, uh, Father and Son, Father's Day, that would be appropriate, and just share some of the things that happened to us and share um, how some of the things that happened to us relate scripturally, okay? And I'd like to begin by just stating that life is a journey, and that journey is filled with lessons for each of us. It's filled with hardships, heartaches, joys, celebrations, and special moments and times together that will ultimately lead us to our destination and to our purpose in life. And hopefully, uh, our purpose in life is not a destination, but it's something that we are accomplishing each day, right? We want to accomplish the purposes that the Lord has for us each day along the journey of life. The road won't always be smooth, as most of you know. In fact, uh, throughout our travels, we will encounter many challenges. But you know, the Lord is faithful to lead us through it all, if we will allow him to do so, and if we will stay in partnership with him. And if we will partner with him and allow him to work in our lives, then we know his scripture says he will bring us to an expected end. Amen? Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, and to give you an expected end. You know, some may ask why life is this way. You know, life is a journey. Why, why does it have its peaks and its valleys? Why is it filled with hardships and heartaches uh, and joys and celebrations? And I can only say that we would have to go back to the very beginning 
uh, and read in Genesis to find the answer to that question. So I'd like to do that with you now. It's an extended passage. Um, if those are listening, uh, don't have a handout and would like to turn there, it's Genesis 3. And we'll begin in verse 11, and we'll read through verse 19. So this is the Lord speaking with Adam in the garden. And the, the Lord asks where he is, and he, he says, um, you know, I'm hiding over here because I'm naked. And the Lord says, who told you that? <laughs> and then he says, have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree of life, and I did eat. Now, I want you to understand and realize that this is where the blame game begins in history, right? Adam is blaming his wife. And so the Lord looks at the woman and he says, What is this that thou hast done? And so she, observing Adam, Blaming her, she says, well, the serpent, the serpent, he beguiled me. He tricked me, and so I ate. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all the cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon your belly shall you go, and the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You know, I just read that, and I thought, right there is the beginning of spiritual warfare. You think about that. The Lord says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, right? Satan and man, and between your seed and her seed. Her seed will bruise your head, and you will bruise her heel. And the woman, I'm sorry, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt you bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And if you'll remember, before this happened, um, the man was not ruler over the woman. The woman was his partner, and they were working together. The Lord was the ruler over both of them. And, of course, he's still the ruler, but he says, Now thy husband shall be the ruler over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth unto thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou returns unto the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. <clears throat> so... The journey of life is filled with hardships and trials and tribulations and happiness and joy because of disobedience. We saw disobedience here in the garden. 
but also because <clears throat> of partnership. Uh, partnership with the wrong partner. You know, Eve chose to disaffiliate with the Lord at, at this moment. When, when, when Satan beguiled her and he tricked her, she could have said, not today, Satan, right? Because the Lord has said not to eat of that tree. But she didn't. She chose to break that bond of partnership with the Lord and take up partnership with a different partner. And that was with the enemy, with evil. And that's sobering. <laughs> that's sobering for us to think about. You know, what, what may seem just a little small disobedience here or there, uh, even if we're tricked by those in the world, she chose to partner with evil. And because of that, um, you know, we basically had the, the fall of mankind in the garden. So Eve chose to disaffiliate with the Lord, and she chose to partner with the enemy. And you know, Adam also chose to partner with Eve in her disobedience. Instead of refusing to partner with evil, you know, he could have, he could have made that decision. So there were two wrong choices made in the garden. Um, but we need to understand and remember that we have choices, and we will reap what we sow. Adam and Eve had free will, and you and I also have free will. We're given the freedom to choose whom we will serve, and our choices will have a lot to do with the journey that we have in our life. We've read the scripture, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. None of us are perfect. You know, we're, we're all born now into, into sin. But we all need to be so intimately linked with the Lord that when that does happen, that we are quick to recognize that, that we're quick to repent, that we're quick to confess, and quick to ask the Lord to restore that right relationship with him. Amen? So we too will have tribulation. We will encounter thorns and thistles, things that poke us and prod us and prick us. We will sweat to bring forth uh, provision through our labor out of the rocky and the hard ground. The dirt of the ground we will encounter. We will encounter dust. You know, we were taken of dust and we will return to dust. And by the way, since we'll talk about uh, the trip that Noah and I took, we encountered a tremendous amount of dust on that trip. But you know, through it all, um, there's a scripture in John that we'll read. We need to choose cheer. We need to choose to be of good cheer. Because Jesus has overcome the world for us. Amen? John chapter 16, verse 33 Jesus talking to his disciples here and speaking to us today through his word. He says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. Is there tribulation going on in the world right now? Man, I'll be 55 this year. And in all 55 years, I know we've had trials before. We've had terrible things that have happened. But 
man, there's some tribulation going on right now. And one thing that we have today that we haven't had in times past is this instantaneous media outlet called social media. And, you know, while at times that can be a blessing, at other times it can be an absolute curse. You know, people can get so riled up and they can share their displeasure in, in, in such a such a broad and far-reaching platform um, that we really have to be careful what voices that we listen to. And we have to guard our hearts because the the word tells us, Jesus tells us right here in the gospel, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. There's plenty of tribulation out there in the world, and I think that we need to focus on the word and the good news and the fact that Jesus has overcome the world so that we might have joy and that we might have cheer. And we need to be that source of light, that source of happiness and joy and cheer in the midst of a very dark time in the life of our world and certainly in the life of our nation. In the midst of all this tumult that's going on around us, if we will choose, and it's a choice, to stay close to the Lord in that intimate fellowship, that intimate partnership, that intimate uh, relationship with him, then we can have peace. But again, it's a choice. Amen? So, the journey, the, uh, the pathway, the roads less traveled, they have their own perils, they have their own pros and cons. Some of the roads are smooth, some are rough, some are barely even traversable, or they may not even be passable. But whether rough or smooth, passable or impassable, he leads us through all of it if we'll stay intimately centered in him. And this intimacy allows us to hear that still, small voice. And we would always do well, in my opinion, to remember that his word tells us, and we'll read this in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, that wide is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life. Matthew 7, 13, enter you in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life. And few there be that find it. That's amazing to me. Um, the pathway to life and to life more abundantly is narrow. It's through that door of Jesus. Wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many choose that path versus the narrow path. You know, for us, for us believers, us Christians, uh, for those of us who partner with the Lord, frequently the best route for us to take, the best path, the best way, <laughs> is certainly not the one that others take. Our development comes through the journey and through the experiences that we have with the Lord along the way. It also, our development also comes 
uh, through the way that we react to the challenges that we are surely to face. Will we have fear or will we choose to have faith? Will we, in certain situations, take hasty action? Or rather, will we choose to be patient and wait? <laughs> We're in a very impatient time. We're in an impatient world. People don't like to wait for anything. But the ways of the Lord are not the ways of this world. We have to be patient. We have to wait. Will we attempt to do things in our own strength? Or will we learn to rely on the ways of the Lord and possibly also upon the ways of others that the Lord leads to us? Okay, Many of us are very independent. I call it rugged individualism. I don't need your help, Nancy. I can do this on my own. Right? We don't want to... It's almost like if we have to ask for help, we're admitting failure. <laughs> that is not the case. That is not the case. We get by with the help of the Lord, and we get by with the help of others, with our brothers and our sisters. Amen? So, many of you uh, know that Noah and I embarked on a journey about three weeks ago, a cross-country adventure together. He and I like to do these kinds of things. And so I want to talk a little bit about some of the experiences we had, what we learned along the way, and, and relate those to um, our spiritual journey, okay? Um, so to just give you a little background where all this began, first I want to thank my wife for being so willing to do without, uh, well, to let her son go, right? Because he could have stayed and been there those two weeks with her. Uh, and also for just encouraging this big adventure. Um, I also want to actually shout out to um, Annette Lacey. She helped by looking for a good weather window for us to depart this trip on. She's good at weather. <laughs> I'm not necessarily good at weather, which you'll learn here in a minute. But, um, you know, we, we were going to try to leave like on a Tuesday, and then we were going to try to leave on a Wednesday, and, and the weather it was raining and raining, and, and just the weather was bad, and we didn't want to depart on this trip in the midst of a storm. <laughs> That's wisdom, right? So, um, Noah, in early March... He was still in school in Santa Barbara. His school closed because of the COVID. They moved everybody off campus to finish their courses online. So Noah comes home uh, early part of March and stays with us, you know, March, April, uh, May. And then the end of May, it's time for Noah to go back to school. So he had driven his truck here, and he was going to drive his truck back. Um, a dream of mine had always been to do this, this um, trail called the Trans-America Trail. Trans-America, it goes from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean, and it's, and it's, um, it's not 100% off-road, but probably 80 to 85% off-road. The, the, the paved sections are really just to get to the next off-road section. Um, I'd heard about people that had ridden, the, they call it the TAT, T-A-T, Trans-America Trail. I'd heard about people that had ridden the, tra the TAT or driven it in their uh, four-wheel drives. And I thought that would be so cool if Noah and I could uh, basically go straight up through Oklahoma to the Oklahoma-Kansas border and get on the TAT and take it all the way to Santa Barbara and get him back to school and have this happy adventure along the way. 
So I mentioned that to Noah, and he's like, Daddy, let's, let's do that. Let's do it. Um, it's a long way, you know, and uh, I, was, I wasn't completely sold on it immediately because I knew it would take a long time. And uh, talked to a few friends of mine, and they're like, well, why wouldn't you do that? You know, so we decided to do it. So that, that was the adventure that we, we started on. Um, but it was also done in his truck, and my dream was to do it on a motorcycle. So the, the, the plan was to um, take my 250 Enduro dirt bike, put it on a, a, a hitch-mounted rack on the back of Noah's truck, and to, um, to drive up to the Trans-America Trail to get the motorcycle off, I'd get on the motorcycle. And then Noah and I would share. You know, I'd drive the truck, he'd ride the motorcycle, et cetera. So that, that was the plan. And so we decided to combine this adventure, you know, him going back to school with the off-road adventure all the way there. Um, this trip would take us through uh, half of Oklahoma, through New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Nevada, and California. And that would cover the western half of the Trans-America Trail. The original Trans-America Trail went up into... Um, uh, Portland, Oregon area. Then uh, later on they came out with what's called an LA extension that, that goes down like from, from when you get into Utah it starts heading southwest down into um, Southern California. <clears throat> so when we finally uh, made it from Newkirk, Oklahoma to St. George, Utah, uh, we were pretty much done. <laughs> Noah and I were cooked and, um, and, and we had only cut, well, only, we had covered about, at that point, 1,903 miles. And in my poor planning, and we'll talk about that here in a minute, I figured it'd take, I figured it was about 1,500 miles because Dallas to L.A. is 1,530. So I figured about 1,500 miles. And if we're doing 200 miles a day, I figured it'd take us seven, maybe eight days to get from Dallas to um, Santa Barbara. When we pulled into St. George, Utah, we were on day 11, and uh, we still had about, um, oh, 500 more miles to go, maybe 600 miles to go. Uh, and this would have put our total trip distance at about 2,388 miles. So that's quite a bit more than 1,500 that I had planned on. Uh, it's about two-thirds more, actually. So we began in like I said, Newkirk, Oklahoma. And you know the saying says an adventure hasn't really started until what? Until something goes wrong. And that didn't take very long. Um, Oklahoma was very flat and very dusty, um, not scenic at all. Uh, but there were lots of, you know, you'd go down this farm road, you'd get to this intersection, you'd take a left, and you'd get on another farm road, and you'd go. So Noah was really good about periodically, you know, when we got to the intersection, he'd stop, and he'd roll down the window, and I'd pull up, and we'd talk, and he'd make sure I was okay. We'd talk about, you know, how much fuel we have, you know, are you thirsty, et cetera. So we had um, gotten to this intersection in the middle of nowhere, and I pulled up and turned the motorcycle off so I could hear him. And... Um, after we finished conversing, I went to start the motorcycle, and it didn't start. And it was like, it, it tried a couple times, but it didn't start. So the battery was dead. I brought a couple of props. So one of the things that we got for this journey is this. 
This is called a micro start XP3 jump start battery. This is about the size, you know, of a big iPhone. It's a little thicker. But this will jump start a car like three or four times. It'll jump start uh, a motorcycle. It's got a flashlight on here. Um, so we pulled this out, pulled the cover off of the motorcycle. I had a little um, jump start cable installed on the motorcycle. We just plugged it in here, fired it up, and it started right up. Unplugged it, and we were off again. So the, 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 the battery, it, in my mind, I'm thinking something's not right. Anyway, we keep going, and of course, when something's not right and you're thinking about it, the second thought is, it's all okay, right? You start justifying, ah, it's just, it's, it'll, it'll be okay. So we got down the road and we had to stop for fuel. So um, we carried a big gas can, we pulled over to the side of the road, have to turn the motorcycle off, we gas it up, go to start it, nothing. Pull out the jump start battery, plug it in, fired right up. You know, in my mind, I'm formulating why this is happening. I'm not quite sure, but we keep going. And we get about a mile down the road, and, you know, we're just cruising along at probably 60 miles an hour, and the motorcycle just totally loses power. Engine goes off, just totally dead. So Noah and I pull over. He gets out and comes up there, and we start talking about this. And what we came to the conclusion, or the conclusion that we came to, was that our fancy navigation unit, which is this right here, our fancy navigation unit was drawing so much power from the battery on that motorcycle that it basically didn't leave any more electricity to run the electronic fuel injection on the motorcycle. So it wasn't able to pump fuel into the engine, so it just it quit. So we took this off the motorcycle, because I was going to be the navigator right in front and, and navigate. And we um, put it into Noah's truck, and we mounted it up in there. And we turned the lights off on the motorcycle, took the iPhone charger out of the little charging port, jump-started the motorcycle a third time, and not ever again on the whole trip did we ever have any problems. So that was the problem. Um, so that was the first story I wanted to share with you, and, and the learning that we got from this is that life is like that. We cannot do life on our own power. We may try but life will eventually drain the power out of us until we can't go any longer. And surely, along the way, we'll try to jumpstart things in our lives, right? We'll, we'll uh, you know, plug in the battery, the jumpstart battery. But before long, all of our forward progress will be um, sapped, and we will shut down. If we don't take the time to stop and to determine what it is that's draining us in our life, what is the core, what, what, what at the core is going on to cause us to feel run down or lethargic or like I can't do this anymore? 
we have to address these problems in the power and in the wisdom of the Lord. And it may be as simple as we haven't been plugging in to him enough to recharge ourselves. Maybe we haven't been staying in that intimate fellowship, in that intimate relationship that we have to have um, to, to, to get our power to go forth, right? We read in the scripture in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That doesn't say I can do all things in my own strength. We can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. And then also in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. The word wait in this passage is, I don't know how you pronounce it, I think it's kawa, but it basically means to bind together like a cord. So you think about a three-fold cord is not quickly broken. Seems like I've read that somewhere, right? You know, you think about um, rope. Rope is a bunch of individual strands that are twisted together to form one big strand that is almost unbreakable. If we will bind ourselves together with the Lord and, and get that image in your mind of that cord being bound together, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you, then together we will be strong. We won't be able to be broken. We'll be, we'll be able to bend and be flexible, but we will be able to be used of the Lord in the manner that he wants to use us. Amen? Okay, so um, back to this, um, this Garmin navigation device. So this um, journey... Think about navigating a bunch of farm roads, fire roads, back roads, logging trails, jeep roads. That's a bunch of different little segments along the way that make up this, this journey. And so navigating that is tricky. And so we were able to um, put all the segments, there were 20 different segments, into um, this navigation device. So it was a pretty critical piece of uh, equipment for the trip. But, you know, so as, as I just related, we, we found that our primary source of navigation was drawing all the power from the motorcycle. And fortunately, we were able to move this, basically unplug it from the motorcycle and plug it into Noah's truck and um, be okay. But I started thinking, you know, what if, what if Noah and I both were on motorcycles? You know, what if we didn't have the truck? Or what if I was doing it by myself? we would have been in trouble because our primary source of navigation um, was unusable. The, the, the moral to that story is don't ever have one source of, uh, of navigation. Always have more than one. So yes, we had this as our primary source of navigation, but we also, on Noah's iPhone and my iPhone, we downloaded, they're called GPX tracks. We downloaded them onto his iPhone and my iPhone. So we had the same, pretty much the same method of navigating on each of our iPhones. Uh, in addition to that, we also had uh, paper maps. So we literally had 
20 different maps, actually more than that, because we had multiple maps for each segment. So we had paper maps for every segment, uh, maps on the iPhone, and maps on the um, Garmin device. So we had three sources of navigation. And um, on one of our days of traveling, we were in Colorado, and in Colorado, there's a lot of mountains, for those of you who haven't been there before. And to try to get through Colorado, it's not as simple as just going from one side to the other, right? Because you encounter these mountains that, you know, they may be 14,000 uh, feet above sea level and not traversable. So you have to go around them. Well, there are on many of them passes that go up and over. And so we were in Colorado and we were going up a pass called Ophir Pass. And it goes from just outside of Silverton, Colorado, up over this mountain and back down into Ophir. And that's where we, where we needed to be. Um, so we work our way up this mountain. Uh, Noah's now, of course, in the front, which that is the dust issue. So I was going to be leading. Now Noah's leading. And when we were driving through Oklahoma and New Mexico, it, these dusty roads, I mean, it was just a cloud of dust that I was following him in. And that was... Um, Somewhat miserable, actually. So back to the pass. So we're going through the San Juan Mountains from Silverton to Ophir. We get up this pass, and as we approach the top, we started, um, well, before we got to the top, we started seeing patches of snow, and we got further up the road, and the road, you could tell, uh, had been cleared of snow, right? Because there was snow on this side all the way up, and there was snow down here, and the the path had been cleared. So we kept going, but when we got to the top, um, we were at 11,814 feet, and it was cool. It wasn't freezing, but it was, it was cold, and the pass was closed because the other side down was completely uh, snowed in, and so we could not, we couldn't keep going. So we had to turn around and come back down, and you know, if we didn't have um, the multiple sources of navigation that we had with us, um, I'm not going to say we wouldn't have made it around, but it would have taken us a lot longer because we were able to get out the maps, look at the GPS, find a way to get around the mountain and over to Ophir, which we did. Um, and we did have to use, you know, a couple different sources of maps to get there. But, you know, the, the learning in that for us is, again, life is that way, right? How many times, Nancy, have you and Rick been, um, you know, working towards something, and you got there, and all of a sudden, there's just a brick wall, you know, and you're like, ah, oh, that's not what in the plan, right, and so you had to back up and go around and figure out another way around it. That's how life is, and in life, though, we have to have a guidance system, don't we? I mean, at the very uh, minimum, of course, we need a moral compass, and it seems that a lot of people these days are lacking that very most basic um, navigational device, a moral compass. But you know, we need our Father on this Father's Day and in, on every day. We need our Father to lead us. And we need the Holy Spirit to be our guide and our teacher and our instructor. We have to have a leader. We have to have uh, people like Pastor that, 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 that leads this network and this church and the, and the pathways that the Lord has laid before us and called us to go into. We have to have a guide. We have to have a navigator, someone that knows the way that can teach us 
and that can show us the way that we need to go. Because we will run into roadblocks. Uh, we will run into obstacles that we cannot get over and that we have to go around and that we have to re reroute around. Psalm 119.105 says, The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, talking about paper maps, <laughs> this is your paper map right here. Coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, this is your paper map for life. There is no other map that you need. As a matter of fact, in God's navigation system, this is all you need. You don't need this. You don't even need this or this, right? All you need is what's found right here in these paper pages, the map, the roadmap to life. Amen? You know, when we're close to the Lord in that intimate relationship, intertwined, you know, you think about your intimate relationship with your wife, I won't go too far, but you know, when you hug and all, I mean, you just, you're like bound together. That's us with the Lord in intimacy, intimate relationship entwined with him. He will show us the way. He will show us the way. He'll speak to us and a result of that closeness with him. You know, I can whisper into Monica's ear when we're in that close, intimate position, and she can hear me. Nobody else around can hear me. That's how the Lord is. When we're in that intimate, close relationship with him, he can whisper things to us that we will hear. We will hear that still, small voice. Amen. That's a wonderful place to be. <laughs> In 1 Kings chapter 19, I want to read a few um, passages here, verses 11 to 13. The Lord here speaking with Elijah. And he said to Elijah, Go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. Elijah goes and stands there, and behold, the Lord passes by. And a great and a strong wind rent the mountain. That means it tore the rocks. It broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in that wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in that fire either. After the fire, there was a still, small voice. And it was so that when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? What I want to point out here is there was a lot going on here, right? There was a windstorm breaking the rocks. There was an earthquake. There was a fire. Fire is loud and swirling. But then there was a still small voice, and Elijah heard it. Elijah was close to the Lord. He had that intimate relationship with the Lord, and we need to have that as well. So another story, um, you know, we went through multiple states, and Colorado by far to me, and I think to Noah as well, was, was the most beautiful. 
it was it was probably our 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 travels through Colorado were um, probably the best part of the trip. We we camped we camped in a few campgrounds. We camped a lot in the national forest where there's nobody. You're just driving and you just pull off into the woods and camp. That's our favorite way. Um, we hiked. We did a hike up to this place called Ice Lake that we hiked up to one summer, a September, a few years ago. It was a beautiful lake. This time we had to traverse the side of the mountain through snow to get there. We got up. The lake was frozen, uh, but it was just absolutely beautiful. We got to, I got to ride the motorcycle. He got to drive the, what's called the Million Dollar Highway between Silverton, Colorado and Uray, Colorado. Absolutely stunning views. Um, the weather while we were in Colorado, for the most part, was absolutely fantastic. It's probably during the day, you know, I don't know, upper 50s, mid 60s at night. It, it would get cold at night. Uh, one night I know it got below freezing because there was frost everywhere the next morning. But the, the weather was pretty terrific. We had little to no rain while we were there. Um, but that changed. Such is life, right? That changed. We got into Utah. And um, that, that's when things started, as they say, going a little pear-shaped. We entered into Monticello, Utah, which is a little south of Moab. And um, we weren't going north or northwest. We were going southwest. And we were actually um, planning to stay the night, hopefully in a hotel in Monticello. And we, we camped two or three nights, and we'd stay in a hotel, camp two or three nights, stay in a hotel. So you could take a shower sleep in a bed, get a good meal. Um, Monticello was not much of a town, okay? No campsites or campgrounds, no hotels. It was really just kind of a spot in the road. So we pressed on because we could tell from our maps that there was a national forest ahead. We, we go for the national forest. And at this time, though, it's starting to get cloudy, um, dark, starting to sprinkle a little bit. So Noah and I are in a little bit of a rush because we'd like to find a place to camp and get set up before rain comes. It's, we can set up in the rain, but it's no fun. So we were looking, and we stop at one place. It was very rocky, so we thought, well, if it rains, at least it's, I mean, it wasn't like pieces of rock. It was solid rock. We thought that would be good. But it wasn't as very exposed, and it just wasn't good. So we kept going, and we found another place. The wind was starting to blow. It was raining a little harder. We thought, we have got to find a place. We stop in a place we thought was good. Noah starts putting up the tent. I start trying to put up a tarp, because if you have a tarp and you can attach it to the tent, you can get under that, and you can operate, right? You can fix your meals. You have a dry place out of the rain. Um, it's getting really windy, because I'm trying to get this tarp up, and it's blowing and jerking around. And I look off in the distance, and I see what... Many of you have seen fog roll in. You know, it's clear, and all of a sudden you see fog coming in, and all of a sudden the trees start disappearing, you know. Um, and I see that in the distance. I'm like, is that rain? You know, is that like sheets of rain coming towards us? or what? And what I realized is it was a dust storm. So there was a windstorm, and I mean, it was blowing. Uh, it actually ripped the tarp, you know, the little eyelets out of the tarp. It ripped the tarp eyelets. So we jerk the tarp down, roll it up, shove it in the back of his truck. He puts the, the so, so we had a, a rooftop tent put on Noah's truck. I forgot to mention that. So it's basically this kind of 
rack that goes over the bed, so you still have access to the bed, and you can put all your stuff under there. But then there's a, a think of a think of a big kind of rectangular shape, somewhat flattish, about like that tall, um, for lack of a better term, a box, on top of this rack. Well, you unfold this thing and it flips open and then you, a tent comes up and there's a ladder and you just climb up in there and that's where you sleep. So this windstorm that was coming was battering this tent and we were both afraid it was going to just shred it. And Mother Nature, when angry, can be very um, fierce. <laughs> So we got the tent down, we got everything in the truck, and we decided to move to a different location. We go a little further, it's raining a little harder. We get kind of over the mountain on the other side, out of the wind, we find a place, we get in there, there's trees. We get everything set back up, and when this tent folds open, it provides a little platform that you can get under and like sit under, and you're out of the rain. So we basically boiled water and poured it into our freeze-dried food, mixed it up, ate our food, and went to bed. So remember that at about, let's just say around 5, it started raining. It rained all night. The next morning we woke up, it was still raining. And um, it finally stopped for a while. And so I woke up Noah and I said, the rain has stopped. We need to get up and kind of pack things up and get going. So we do that. We pack everything up. We get going. Um, we did make coffee, but then we headed out. Now, before we left, we got the rooftop tent on Noah's truck. Uh, Noah worked and earned and saved his money, and he ended up um, buying what's called a lift kit. It basically causes your truck to sit a little higher, not hugely higher, but a little bit. And his truck is four-wheel drive, and he put um, new tires on that were good tread, you know, all-terrain kind of tires. So it was a very capable four-wheel drive vehicle. So we get out of our tent site on this road. Now the roads up there are dirt, right? This whole thing is a, is a dirt road adventure. The dirt in Utah is not like our dirt. And it's not sandy dirt, it's like talcum powder dirt. And when it rains, it turns into this like greasy, slick stuff that sticks to everything, okay? Well, we'd never been to Utah. We didn't know this. So we're driving down the road, and we're doing pretty good. You know, trucks sliding a little bit, but we're making progress. And um, we start going down. This, this road kind of like starts to have a decline, not real steep, but a little bit. And so we're going, and, and Noah taps the brake. Well, the truck doesn't stop. It just starts sliding okay and so the road is a little off camber means it you know there's a center and it kind of tilts down this way and it tilts down this way and on each side there's like this big kind of ditch and so the truck is sliding and Noah's trying to turn and the truck is not turning and we're off on the left hand side of the road and we are basically just sliding into this ditch so we slide into this ditch and, you know, as any good ditch, you know, there's the ditch, and then there's like a little embankment, right? Well, his, his door is like right up on this embankment, so he can't get out on his side. And you guys, um, we weren't kind of stuck. I mean, we were, we were stuck. 
you know, when you go forward, backward, and the, and the truck's just kind of sinking down more and more. So the rain has slackened. It's just sprinkling a little. So Noah and I get out and um, to assess the situation. And we had these things called max tracks. They're these, like, think of just like these little flat platforms about this long, about this wide, and they're very studded, you know, and you're supposed to be able to put these under your wheels and then like pull forward and so you get some traction. That does not work in the mud. I'm just telling you from experience, if you get in this situation and you have those and it's muddy, leave them in the truck. So we don't know what to do. And, and so we said, well, maybe if we collect some branches and wood and like there's sagebrush, you know, like try to stuff all this stuff down in this ditch underneath the tires, we can get some traction. So we're gathering wood and stuff to stuff down in here. And we hear this loud noise, like this pop, like pow. And Noah's like, what was that? And I'm like, I don't know, it must have been a branch or something that broke out of a tree. So we're still gathering our stuff and we hear another pow. And so about that time, I hear Noah yell. He says, Daddy, be careful, it's starting to hail. And about that time, hail started to fall. And there was like little hail, you know, like pea-sized hail, and then a little bit bigger, and then like painful hail. And so we started running towards the truck, got back in the truck, and you guys, it came a hailstorm almost like the one we had here a number of years ago. Same kind of deal. After the hailstorm was done, all you know, you looked at the trees, and all the leaves had been knocked out. Uh, it was just, it was, it was a bad hailstorm. And we sat in his truck, and the, this truck is kind of new for him, you know. And it's he just got it lifted. He's got his tent on there. He loves his truck, <clears throat> and it's it's hailing like a hailstorm. And I'm thinking it's probably going to break the windshield because the hailstones are big. And Noah is just beside himself. You know, so we're stuck in the mud, it's pouring down rain, we can't get out, and then the hail comes. And Noah's like, Daddy, do we have insurance? <laughs> and I said, yes, we have insurance. I said, that's probably the only upside to this whole thing right now is you probably are going to get a new truck because yours is probably going to be totally destroyed. So it hailed about 10 minutes. I mean, literally, we sat there. It finally stopped hailing. You know, we're, we're looking out there, and now... There's this thick, I mean like four or five inches in the road of ice, hailstones. Um, so we get out of his truck on my side, step out into the road. We're crunching through this hail. <clears throat> this is a very dire situation. And you know the scripture that says... Um, that sometimes you may entertain angels unaware that passage. I don't know if that's what happened, but all of a sudden, up the road, there comes a truck towards us. And it was a Tacoma, four-wheel drive, and it was a, a man and his wife. And they were locals. And they said, look, we can help you. We'll get you out of this. So they, the guy was, I mean, he was I guess, expert at this, you know, he like jumped off the road up into the, the, the bushy area, you know, where he could get some traction. We had a tow strap. We hooked it all up. Basically, he pulled us out. And he said, if you're going, if you're going that way, I would suggest you not go that way because it really only gets worse that way. 
He said, so I would turn around and go. He told us how to go back down to the highway. And so he left. And I looked at Noah and I said, you know, we were very stuck. And I don't want to get there again because it's a very helpless feeling. I said, I think what we should do is what he did and pull the truck off the road up into the shrub, you know, the, the sagebrush, and park this thing and just wait. We have to wait to let this dry out. And so Noah was in total agreement. So we pulled up there. Uh, it started, the, the, the rain had stopped. It started, the clouds actually started breaking up. Um, we set our chairs out and we mentally, and we, we, we talked to each other and we said, look, here's gonna be our plan. We're gonna sit here, we're gonna read, we're gonna relax, we'll make some afternoon coffee, we'll fix lunch. We will put the tent up, we'll sleep here tonight, and in the morning, this will be dry enough that we should be able to get, get out. I think the Lord caused the sun to come out, and I think the Lord caused this very strong wind to return because the sky turned this beautiful blue, it got pretty windy, and in five hours, it was pretty dry. So we were able to restart our journey. So what did we learn during this? Um, a number of things, actually. One is, you know, sometimes we go through life a little bit oblivious, but we really need to be, we need to pay attention and be aware of changing circumstances and conditions that are going on around us. And we need to be ready to adapt. And adapting to changing circumstances may be sitting there doing nothing for five hours right? Or it may be changing uh, your route. It may be who knows what. But we have got to be mindful and aware of changing circumstances and conditions in our daily lives. Um, and we have to live our life in a manner that's fluid enough that we will be ready and able to make those adaptations. Um, we also need to be willing to be patient and wait on the Lord. You know, when the Lord, when we feel the Lord has put up a roadblock or he's sent a hailstorm or he's caused it to rain and you get muddied in, then we need to just sit there and wait on the Lord. Okay, we need to be in a place where we're content um, doing nothing because oftentimes nothing is the best thing to do when you're in a situation like that. You know, they say that the only constant in life is change and we have to be mindful of these changes going on around us. Um, we also need to remember that, you know, the Lord uses others in our lives. We talked a little bit about that. We were helped by the kindness of others. We got out of a very helpless situation because of the kindness of others. This, this guy and his wife were willing to stop, right? They were willing to I thought they were going to get stuck. They were willing to put themselves at risk of getting right where we were. But, but they helped us, and they got us out of this. Um, we also had this. This is called an inReach. It's made by Garmin, and it's a satellite communication device. And it's, it's actually attached to what's called the Iridium Satellite Network. Okay? Monica, I would text her when we got to camp, and I would text her when we were leaving. And like she said, they were just little encrypted texts, and they are, but at least it lets people know that you're safe and that you're okay. Um, 
I did not text her to tell her of our travails in the middle of Utah because I didn't want to worry her. But I was able to um, send a message to two of the guys I do a lot of adventure traveling with and let them know what our situation was. And they were able to communicate back to us. They were able to... Um, they reached out to one person that we know that actually knew people in the area that could have come and extracted us if we needed it. Uh, another part of this is when we went into that ditch, it totally, it ripped our motorcycle rack. I told you we had a rack on the back. It basically sheared it in half. And so it was not usable anymore. And so um, a buddy of mine was able to find another rack in another town and tell us where to go and how to get there. Um, so we were... And also with this, if you ever are in a life-threatening situation, there's this little SOS button. You have to unlock it, and you hit the SOS button. And once you do that, there's a organization that goes to work right then. There's no questions asked. If you hit the SOS button, somebody's coming, and they will come and get you out of wherever you are. But the, again, the learning in this is be mindful of changing circumstances, but also have good people around you that are willing to answer your calls, <laughs> your, your pleas for help when you're in a, a tight spot. That's the way it is with the Lord. When we're in ministry, when we're out there working for the Lord, we have to have good people around us. We have to have people that we can rely on. Um, the, the Lord uses others, right? He, he could have physically reached down and like picked our little truck up and moved us back onto the road. That would have been a trip to see. But he used, he works through others, right? He worked through that couple to, to help us out. And um, we just need to remember that as helpless as some of our situations get, the Lord is in control and he'll cause things to work together for good for us who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen? Last one and we'll be done. Um, Planning. There's a significant amount of planning that goes into the ministry trips that we do. I know I see Monica planning all the time. Nancy does planning. Pastor does planning. Um, it, it takes a lot of effort to coordinate a big outreach. It takes a lot of uh, effort to coordinate and to plan a cross-country trip off-road. And um, I would say that I... <laughs> I did a very poor job, okay? You know, on the golf course, you'll see people, and I'm not a big golfer, but you'll see people, like, lick their finger and put it up, and that way they can tell which way the wind is blowing, right? That's not very technical, and that's kind of what I did. You know, I thought, well, from Dallas to Santa Barbara is 1,500 miles. We're going from northern Oklahoma to Santa Barbara, probably about 1,500 miles, 200 miles a day, seven or eight days, we'll be there. Um... That's very subpar. If I had simply taken the time, uh, this, little, this little bag contains a little piece of paper, and on each of these, on this piece of paper, I have, there's 20 segments of this route, and I have the difficulty level of the segment and the mileage of the segment. Well, if I had taken the time to add up the mileage of each segment, I would have found that the mileage was 2,152 miles. And I had estimated 1,500 miles. 
So I was 652 miles off from the beginning. If, if those of you in, in uh, Texas have ever driven from, from, from Texas down to South Padre Island, that's 500 miles. Well, that takes 10 hours straight through of driving. So my planning was not that great because like I said, when we got to St. George, Utah, we still had Nevada and California to get through. And we were on day 11 in St. George, Utah. Um, so we were exhausted and we were in the, what's called the canyon lands. It's beautiful, but it's the same thing over and over and over. I mean, you, you go into these canyons, you come out of these canyons and you look ahead and as far as the eye can see, it's what? It's more canyons. And so that's when Noah and I decided that we were, we were finished. So, you know, the, the, the learning from that is when you, when you plan, when you plan your ministerial outreaches or your conferences or your adventures, whatever they may be, um, you need to be meticulous in your planning. And I would, I would say that you probably should have your travel partners look over your work and critique your work and give you feedback. Um, and you know, we read in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, what, the people perish, right? Well, we had vision. We knew what we wanted to accomplish, but um, we, I really fell down in, on the planning department. So uh, not planning properly, especially on some adventures, can actually cause you to not uh, make it back. And that was not our case, but, um, you know, in the spirit, we know that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the, the rulers of, of darkness in this world. And spiritual warfare is serious. And, um, you know, I think about the, the sons of Sceva. I think about um, uh, even the disciples when they couldn't cast out the demon. And Jesus said, this kind of only comes out by prayer and fasting. There's certain things you have to do in preparation for your uh, ministerial outreaches or your trips or whatever that um, you have to do it. You have to spend the time and do it right. To, to have a successful outcome. So um, I hope that wasn't boring for you, but I do appreciate you listening and, and, um, and being present for this. And I guess the takeaway for all of us is life is a journey, and it's a journey of partnership and fellowship and that intimate relationship and commune with the Lord. And if we maintain that, he will get us through, and he will bring us to that expected end that he has written in his book. Amen. So with that, I will um, wish you all a happy Father's Day, all the fathers out there. I hope you have a, a gloriously good one. And take time today to spend some time with your Father in heaven who loves you and, uh, and with his Son who gave his very life for you. Amen. Hallelujah.